As debt ceiling stress recedes, new trends appear. This is The Markets, a new series from Goldman Sachs Exchanges. Hi, I'm Sam Grobart. Today, I'm joined by Beth Hammock, co-head of the Global Financing Group in Global Banking and Markets, and we're going to talk, hopefully for the very last time, about the debt ceiling, as well as a return to watching the Fed's next move and stock market performance around the world. Beth, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. So, listen, we've got a lot of news that's been coming out this week. Given the recent agreement in Washington, it looks like the U.S. Treasury is going to be issuing around $1 trillion of debt in the next six months. Who will be the buyers of that debt? So Treasury is going to have to rebuild its cash balance, what they call their Treasury General Account, the TGA. And so to do that, you're exactly right. They're going to have to be issuing in the markets at a pretty rapid clip. The market expectation is most of that issuance will be happening in T-bills, so at the very short end of the yield curve. And so the real debate that's going on in the marketplace is, is that funding going to come out of bank reserves or is it going to come out of the Fed's RRP program? And what's the RRP program? So the RRP program is a place where money market funds typically can actually engage in reverse repo with the New York Fed. So they essentially give the New York Fed cash and the Fed gives them collateral. The Fed put this facility in place a number of years ago to help maintain the floor on rates to keep rates above zero. They've kept this in place, and it's actually grown to over $2 trillion in size as money market funds have become a popular instrument through this this rate hiking cycle, banks haven't been raising their deposit rates quite as rapidly. And so if you can get two basis points on your large money center bank checking account, or you can get 5% in your money market fund, people generally have been preferring to be in money market funds. And so you've seen that facility grow. So the expectation is that as Treasury starts issuing more in the front end of the market, a lot of that money that's sitting at the Fed will move out of that facility, and that will be a big buyer of those T-bills that are going to be issued in the coming months. A trillion dollars is not a small amount of money. Is the it's not a small amount of money. No, never is. Is there the sufficient sort of plumbing and infrastructure to handle that volume? Certainly the system can handle it. Again, you've got $2.2 trillion that's sitting in this reverse repo facility. These money funds are going to move based on really just the level of yield that they can buy. So this facility right now is paying 5.05. It's set at five basis points over the bottom of the Fed's target band. And so to the extent that bills are yielding something higher than that, you'll see those money funds move pretty efficiently out of the RRP and into buying those treasury bills. So there will be a lot of capacity. And if that facility moves down by a trillion dollars, and I don't think we expect all trillion is going to be in the very front end of the market. Some of it will be further out the yield curve through normal course of of treasury issuance. And so there'll be term buyers, you know, asset managers, insurance companies, corporates who will be looking at those longer term bonds. You've been talking about money market funds probably due to some debt ceiling anxiety, have seen massive inflows, just $40 billion in the last week. Does that reverse now, given that an agreement has been reached? So we'll be watching that closely to see exactly how investors want to behave through this environment. The stock market has held up reasonably well. And so when you think about that $40 billion moving into money funds, you have to look at where did it come from and why are people moving and where do we think they'll go back to? But I think the expectation is that $40 billion sounds like a really big number in the context of these flow of funds, but actually it can pretty organically be absorbed by other markets. And so coming out of money market funds, as we've just talked about, 
doesn't have a huge impact on broader markets because there are so many options available, particularly given that this RRP facility is unlimited in size. And so that $40 billion coming out of money funds, if it's moving into other places like the equity markets or the corporate bond markets, we think will be pretty absorbed and will be supportive for those other asset classes. Beth, we're beginning to see some increased expectation that the Fed may have to raise rates in June, which is a bit of a change given that most people were expecting the Fed to take a pause. Is that debt ceiling related or is that due to other factors like what you were just saying, strong U.S. stock performance or the uptick in consumer spending? The discussion around the Fed and whether or not they're going to hike at their next meeting is really not related to the debt ceiling. I think the broader issues that they're looking at have to do more with the strength that we've seen in inflation. And while we've seen inflation peak, it still is staying pretty persistently strong. And so a lot of this is going to hinge on Friday's payroll number in terms of where that comes out. When the Fed is looking at the full constellation of data, strength of the consumer, health of the banking system, where inflation numbers are coming, they're trying to make sure that they're getting conditions tight enough so they can start having an impact on inflation and start bringing it down, but they don't want to do it so rapidly that they're going to cause a big recession. And so the expectation had been that they would take a pause for the June meeting, wait and see how much the credit tightening on the back of some of the banking stress that we've seen is going to come into play. Our house call, Jan's call, is that before the banking issues had expected maybe one or two more hikes. But the expectation now is that the credit tightening we're going to see on the back of tighter lending standards because the banking stress will provide the same amount of tightening in that 25 to 50 basis point equivalent that you would have seen from tightening. And so you'll see, rather than a rate hike, you'll see a credit tightening that will serve the same purpose to really get inflation under control and bring the economy back to where it needs to be. And again, as you well know, Jan's view, which is an outlier view, is that we are going to have a soft landing and that we will not see a meaningful recession toward the end of this year. Absolutely. We were talking earlier regarding sort of strong U.S. stock performance. What do you see driving that? I know that obviously there's been a lot of interest in AI. That's been affecting a lot of tech stocks. What else is going on out there that you're paying attention to? Well, what we're really looking at is under the hood. Certainly when you look at the broad index, when you look at the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ, you're seeing really good strength. But if you actually look under the hood, that's being driven by a very small number of stocks. As you rightly noted, the S&P 500 is really driven by five or six tech stocks at the very top of it that have enormous market caps, and that because of the AI and because of the tech sector and the chip sector in particular has been so well supported, that's really supporting the overall index. But when you break it down and you try to look under the hood a little bit more, whether it's cyclicals versus defensives or whether you look at you know services versus industrials or different underlying baskets, you actually get a bit of a different story. And so it's important to look at not just the overlying index, but also look at some of those indicators below to see which sectors are investors really preferring. If I can just drill down on that for a second, you were saying that you see a bit of a different story. What kind of story do you see right now? Well, I think what you see is that investors are looking at this moment in time and you see a divergence in terms of these expectations of whether or not the U.S. is going to enter into a recession. And so looking at different sectors, you see different performance. And so again, at the top of the market, you're seeing a lot of consolidation in the big tech area. And so you're seeing a lot of support there. But in these hyper growth companies that had been smaller, some of the newer IPOs, some of the newer issuances, you're not seeing the same level of growth there, right? You're seeing a real advantage play out in these market dominant players. And that's really giving them a lot of the performance at the top of the market. But lower down, there's a little bit more, there's a little bit more stress. There's a little bit more concern about name by name. How are they going to to thread the needle? And part of this, this theme that we've been looking at has really been which of these stocks, which of these businesses are really 
inflation-proof and recession-proof. In 2021, it was growth, 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 growth at any cost, which really works when you're in a 0% interest rate environment. When you now, the cost of money is at 5% plus, growth is a lot more complicated. And so you need to think about, do these business models sustain these higher rates? And how are they going to manage through the recent inflationary pressures to make sure that they've been really disciplined about their business? Okay, Beth, last question. What's going to be on your mind for next week? So in the week ahead, we're going to be focused on, first and foremost, making sure that the debt ceiling deal actually gets signed. We've been down this road a number of times. It feels like we're in a really great place given how strongly the bill passed the House, but obviously it's got to get through the Senate. And then away from that, it's going to be looking at where these flow of funds are coming from. So what you talked about in terms of this Treasury issuance, who are the buyers? Is this money coming out of RRP as we expect? Or is it going to be coming out of bank reserves, which could present a bit of a different picture from a stability perspective for the overall market? And then and we're going to look at how U.S. investors are looking at the growth and the strength that we've seen in the equity market. So over the past several weeks, we've actually seen really good activity in terms of issuance in the equity markets, largely through follow-ons and block trading. And we're going to look to see if that trend continues, because that would be really supportive for getting us in a place where we could see IPOs beginning to happen again in September of this year, which would be very constructive for capital formation in the U.S. markets. Beth, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That does it for another episode of The Markets. As of June 16th, we'll be leaving the exchanges feed, but we have our own new feed. So subscribe to Goldman Sachs The Markets wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sam Grobart. Thanks for listening. The opinions and views expressed in this program are not necessarily the opinions of Goldman Sachs or its affiliates. This program should not be copied or published without the express written consent of Goldman Sachs. Each brand mentioned in this program is the property of the company to which it relates and is not used to imply any ownership or license rights. Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, investment, accounting, or tax advice through this program. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this program. Our theme was composed by Soundboard.